that stirs something up in us, doesn't it? Maybe triggers a, a memory of a service, a memorial service, or a wedding, or something from the past. Uh, so moving. We're in a series called Teach Us to Pray in the Lord's Prayer, and we've been saying the Lord's Prayer, hearing the Lord's Prayer in a variety of ways. That was a powerful way to hear it, wasn't it? So let's thank Danny Van Voorst for sharing her gifts with us one more time. Well, how's it going? Okay, some better than others, but I'm glad you're here. Good to be with you at both of our campuses and those of you who join us online. And if you're guests, uh, if you're a guest with us, we're so glad you're here. It's an honor to have you here. And we'd love to answer any questions that you have, get you connected as quickly as possible if you're looking for a church home. And I'd also invite you to come up after the service, talk to one of us. Uh, we're, not, we're a big church, but we're not too big to connect with people uh, personally. And we also have guest service stations by each of our main doors, so stop by there as well. This time I'm gonna invite the ushers to come forward to receive our tithes and offerings. If this is your church home, Thank you for how you give faithfully and generously to support our vision, to multiply the hope and the heartbeat of Jesus. Right, we're getting it. Thank you for investing in this important vision that God has given us, and there's no better time to see the hope and heartbeat of Jesus multiplied than on Easter, which is coming up in two weeks. People have called Easter the Super Bowl of the church pretty relevant considering that we just hosted the Super Bowl here a couple of months ago. Uh, and, and that's 52, 52 Super Bowls. That's a lot of Super Bowls. But you know how many Easter's it would be, the Super Bowl of the church? If we count Jesus' death and resurrection at 30 AD, it'd be Super Bowl of the church number 1,988. And so we're celebrating a couple of weeks, uh, another Super Bowl for the church Easter. But just like the Super Bowl in the Twin Cities, it takes a lot of people to be mobilized, to prepare for all the guests who will be coming to make this Easter the best experience possible for everyone. So if this is your church home, if this is your church home, if it's not, you're off the hook and you're welcome to participate. But if this is your church home, I have some asks, expectations of you. If you take out the uh, inserts in your program, they're, they're really colorful, wave them, do it. I'm not just saying it, all right? I'm not just talking to myself up here, okay? There we go. Uh, there, there are a couple of inserts. So if this is your church home, three asks or expectations. Ready? Invite one, serve one, attend one. Invite one, serve one, attend one. We can remember that. Invite one family or person, a neighbor or a family member or a coworker to come to Easter this year. On one of the cards, you see a heading that says, who are you praying for? So who are you praying for that you could invite? And then there's an invitation at the bottom to write in their name and tell them when you're going and say, hey, come with me. Invite them to come. Statistics still show that there are two times a year that churchless people are more open to, to an invitation to come to church, Christmas and Easter. And I always think, what's the worst that can happen? They say no, but you have a strong enough ego to handle that. And the best thing that could happen is that they could say yes, and they could experience the hope and the heartbeat of Jesus, and their life would be forever, forever changed. So invite one, serve one. If this is your church home, we expect, I expect you to, to sign up, to serve one service, to be a part of the, of the team that's going to be preparing for all those guests who will be coming so we can serve them well as they come through our doors. And there are lots of opportunities to do that. And that's the other insert there. And you can find out more information and sign up online, looking for slots. Everyone nod your head, wherever you are. I can see you even through the camera. Yep, okay. 
The third expectation is that you would come and worship and attend one. And let's worship our hearts out this Easter because there is a lot to celebrate always, but especially on Easter when we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's gonna be an awesome Easter and thanks for all the ways that you will help make it so. We're in a series called Teach Us to Pray. It's on the Lord's Prayer. This is our fifth week of the series and we've been looking at different parts of the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, depending on your background. Or Jesus' secret sauce. His disciples say, teach us to pray. And he gives them this response. And the secret sauce is Jesus' way of praying, which then shaped how he lived. Note the connection. How we pray shapes how we live. Whether we pray or not shapes how we live. How much we pray. Prayer shapes how we, how we live. And it certainly was true of Jesus. So we've been diving deep into the meaning of each of the parts. We've covered four. And I would encourage you to go back and, and check those out online if you haven't already or, or again if you want to just soak in the content a little bit more. Next week, next week is the exclamation point of the Lord's Prayer, the doxology. We just heard it sung so beautifully. And is the kingdom and the power and the glory exclamation point on this prayer. And so we're going to be talking about that. And next week is also Palm Sunday, which is the beginning of Holy Week. Palm Sunday is is where Hosanna gets our exclamation point. And we have an exclamation point in our name. And that's really all about Palm Sunday. When people, as Jesus was riding down from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, and they welcomed him, received him as king, and they said, Hosanna, Hosanna. Some of our staff members say Hosanna still. They're on probation. Anyway, Hosanna, Hosanna. That's an exclamation point weekend for us, Palm Sunday. So make sure you're here for that. Today, we're going to talk about this part of the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Two big concepts here, temptation and evil. Since no one here struggles with temptation, and that's not true, and there would be a, a great message on temptation to give someday, but today we're going to talk about this other concept, evil. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Evil. We're going to talk about evil. And so you may have heard us say this before, but as preachers, we, we have to go through uh, what we're going to be preaching about. So for the last two weeks, I've been immersed in evil. Don't quote me out of context on that, please. But it's true. We, we have to go through oftentimes what we're going to be preaching on. And it's not always fun, especially on a topic like evil. So you're welcome. And I'll talk about that more in a little bit. But out of these last two weeks of preparing for this message, I emerged with three, two, one. Three, two, one. Three things that evil is, biblically, two things that evil does, and one way, the only way to defeat evil in our lives. The only way to defeat evil in our lives. Three, two, one. Got it? Okay, we're going to start with what evil is, and we're going to look at a passage of scripture in... Luke chapter 11. This may sound familiar to you if you've been with us in this series because it's the same chapter that we get the words that form the basis for the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' response to teach us to pray is in, is in Luke chapter 11. Following that passage is a passage on persistence in prayer, being persistent in prayer, to keep going in prayer. Don't give up in prayer. Don't give up praying about that that situation that you're praying about. Don't give up praying, period. Some of you just need to hear that. Don't give up. These two passages on prayer, and then what follows is a passage on 
evil, on evil. I don't think this is accidental or coincidental. I think it's very purposeful that Jesus talks about prayer, prayer, evil, because in order to confront evil, in order to face evil, in order to deal with evil, be delivered from evil, prayer is essential. It's essential. In fact, I think Jesus might even say it this way, if you're not praying, forget about it when it comes to evil. Forget about it. You're you're a sitting duck. And so Jesus is going to put the two together for us here. Starting at verse 14. One day Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak. Just find that. One day Jesus cast out a demon. It's like just what you do. Ordinary life. We'll get back to that in a second. And when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed, but some of them said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Others trying to test Jesus demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. What's going on here? People are accusing Jesus. Well, if he, if he can deliver people, you know, demons from people, then, then he must be a demon himself or a messenger, an agent of Satan himself is what they're saying. And Jesus, as he often does, he can do it in our lives too. He's about to blow their logic out of the water. Verse 17. He knew their thoughts, so he said, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You say I'm empowered by Satan, but if Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive? And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too. So they will condemn you for what you have said. But if I am casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. So his response to their accusation that he's just, he's an agent of Satan delivering demons is, why would Satan do that? Why why in the world would he fight against himself? Two other gospels say it this way, a house divided cannot stand. Some good wisdom in that. Lots of application. But certainly when it comes, why would he divide his house? He said, no, there's another alternative. I'm driving out evil because I'm doing so in the power of God, which means that if evil is being driven out by the power of God, then the kingdom of God is coming. It's come. That that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is being answered in your very midst. Jesus says that's what's happening. Did you just just note, as we read through that, did, did you sense any doubt or debate about whether evil is real or not in that first century encounter? I didn't, because there was no doubt in their minds. In their minds, evil was part of the everyday. One day, Jesus was driving out demons. The first thing that evil is, is evil is real. Evil is real. Like, like most topics and conversations and issues today, though, evil has been polarized into two extremes, untrue, unhelpful extremes. One extreme, people conclude this about evil. Evil is everywhere. It's, it's behind everything that happens. Every little thing that happens is evil, evil, evil. And, and the whole world is evil and, and, and the world is going to hell in a handbasket. On this side, everything is, God, it's all, all evil. The other side of the spectrum is evil is nowhere. It, it explains nothing. Hear no evil, see no evil. Believing in evil is for people who live back in the dark ages. Right? Or people who aren't as advanced 
or progressed or as modern as we are. Why? Evil. What an arrogant thought that we today, living today, would, would it always know more or have more knowledge about reality than people who lived a long time ago. Some cases we do, but not in every way. I've traveled to other parts of the world, developing countries in particular, they have no problem believing in the reality of evil. And we can go, well, that's because we're more advanced and we're more progressed and more modern. Really? Is it possible that our advancements and our technology and our progress has actually caused us to regress in some ways? Has actually caused us to be dull or insensitive or kind of numb to spiritual realities that are happening around us all the time. Is it possible? I would say it is. And I would say a good starting point, an alternative to way over here, evil explains everything or evil explains nothing is right smack dab in the middle, which is evil is real. How much more proof do we need? How much, just over the last hundred years, wars and genocides and famines And even recent history, school shooting, how much more? Evil is real. And we we don't want to polarize. It is, it's real. Don't deny or don't give it credit for everything. It's real. For me, and this may not satisfy everybody, but the fact that Jesus sees it as real and he approaches it as real is enough for me. And, And as Jesus followers, we should go, yeah, that's, If Jesus says it's real, then we should pay attention to it too. Verse 23, anyone, Jesus is still talking here, anyone who isn't with me opposes me and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Pretty straightforward here. What is evil? Evil is direct opposition to God. Direct opposition to what God is doing in the world. This is the second thing that evil is. It's direct opposition to what God is doing in the world. Well, what is God doing in the world? How do we know? Because if we can identify what God is doing, then we can see where, where evil is opposing what God is doing. How do we know what God is doing? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we want to know what God is doing? We look to Jesus. How God is working? We look to Jesus. Let's just name a few things that God is doing through Jesus that he, we see him doing through Jesus. We see him working in a variety of ways through Jesus. We always see Jesus working to bring love. We always see Jesus working to bring humility. We always see Jesus working to bring peace. We always see Jesus working to bring unity. We always see Jesus working to bring compassion for people, especially those people who maybe no one else has compassion for. We see Jesus, we see God doing that. So therefore... What is evil doing? Working against those things. Where there's love, evil's trying to bring hate. Where there's humility, evil's trying to bring pride and ego. Where there is peace, evil's trying to bring violence. Where there is unity, evil's trying to bring division. Where there is compassion, evil's trying to bring greed. Which is, I think, one of the greatest systemic evils in our world today. Greed where there is life, where God is working to bring life, evil is working to bring death and destruction. See? 
You know what the word, the Hebrew word Satan or Satan means? It means adversary or accuser. Ever heard that voice before? The accuser. The root word that it comes from means to oppose. So evil is always opposing what God is doing. There's a term that gets thrown around a lot and and gets narrowly defined. Antichrist, the Antichrist. There is a figure, the Antichrist, that the Bible points to that will come one day before the return of Christ to try to oppose the return of Christ. But the Bible also talks about, in 1 John, spirits of the Antichrist, plural Antichrists at work in the world today. We can define Antichrist, can't we, pretty easily? Anti against Christ. Those spirits, those forces that are working against the good work that God wants to do in our lives and in our world, opposing, opposing God's work. Look at verse 24. Jesus goes on to say, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. Moral of the story, don't get too OCD about cleaning your house. There's probably something there about control and I've got to control my life and get it all in order and enemy just gets more into everything. But here's what I want to focus on even more generally is that there's a sense that evil's in, in this person and evil's out and then evil's in and evil seems to be able to be anywhere and everywhere and here's how I want to say it. The third thing that evil is is evil is around and within us. Around and within us. Well, how can evil be within us? Would you say it's true that at times evil can influence our thoughts and our attitudes, which then drive our actions? If you're human, the answer to that would be yes, within us. And it can also be around us as much as within us. This feels like a good time for a joke. What do you think? I'm just sensing that in the room. But I need to tell you that the last time I told a joke, this is a big deal for me to, to step out and do this, was when I was in India five years ago. I was preaching a message. I, I told a joke. Not one single person laughed after I told the joke. It's like crickets in there. It was the translator's fault, but, you know. <laughs> so this is, it's just taken me five, six years to gather up the courage to tell a joke, and I'm doing it right now, and you're here for it. You ready? How do we know that the devil runs the IRS? Glad you asked. Because the devil takes many forms. Thank you. Thank you. you. I'll be here all night. Thank you very much. Actually, in the Bible, we see that the devil is clearly a a personal and individual entity. And yet, the devil takes many forms throughout the Bible. We see the devil taking the form of a snake, of a serpent, of a dragon, of a whispering voice in, 
in people's ears. Uh, sometimes, apparently, the devil can be an angel of light, appear to be good and light, but really in disguise. Or another description, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Apparently, sometimes even can be uh, a person taking on this, this role of opposing God. When Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. What does Satan mean? Opposing God. Opposing what God is doing in the world and in our lives. And Peter, Jesus said, I've got to go to the cross and die for humanity. And Peter says, no, you don't. And Jesus says, get behind me because that opposes what God is doing in the world. Many, many forms in our lives, even today. Some cautions though, and this is, this is important, just some cautions. We, we don't want to just see the devil as we often do in popular culture as a red, little red guy with a pitchfork and horns. Right? Too easy to make that devil cheesy. It's not. Too easy to make that devil powerless or impotent. He's not. Uh, too easy to say that the devil is relegated to a, a, a specific time and space and place. He's not. He can be anywhere and everywhere. So we want to make sure we don't t- too narrowly define him. The other, the other caution is, is we want to make sure that we don't put a, a face permanently on the devil. Some of you are thinking, you don't know my mother-in-law. I'm not saying my mother-in-law. She might be watching right now. She looks like an angel, like Jesus, actually. <laughs> but we do this. We do this with politicians. We do this with public figures. We do this with people we know. We do this with people we've heard us. But in Ephesians 6, we read that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against principalities and supernatural forces at work all around us and sometimes within us, not against people. Ephesians 6 is also where we read about the spiritual armor that can protect us in spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. The other caution, and this is me being pastoral and caring about you, and it's me too sometimes. We gotta make sure that we don't spend all our time thinking about the evil around us at the expense of the evil that can rise up within us, of the ways that evil can be triggered inside of us and cause us to be prideful, cause us to be greedy can cause us to be violent in our actions or our work. We've got to make sure we start there. And as a pastor of this church, I'm going to tell you, we will always start there. We will always start with the plank in our own eye before the speck in someone else's eye. We will. We will always. No, not everyone wants to hear that. That's okay. We will always start looking at ourselves first and then others I even think as parents, as parents, we could afford to think about this some because I think parents, we spend a lot of time talking about how there's evil out there, there's evil out there, don't go out there, there's evil. And there's some truth to that. But I think we could afford to spend more time, even the majority of our time, teaching our kids to deal with the ways that evil rises up in them because that's what they're gonna take with them. Evil is gonna come in all shapes and sizes out there until Jesus comes back. But, but what they can take with them is an ability, a capacity to deal with evil in ways that don't cause them to become the monster themselves. What if we, what if we took more time to, to shape our kids that way? I think that would be good. Evil is, it's real, it's in opposition to God, and it is around us and within us. So what does evil do? Two things. Two things that evil does, and they're very much related to each other, and they're very much related to this, the second thing that evil is. It, evil is opposition to God. The first thing that evil does is it opposes God's work in us. Opposes God's work in us. 
the good work that God is doing in us. John 10, 10, Jesus says, the, the enemy, the thief comes to lie or to kill, steal, and destroy. He comes to lie too. But Jesus says, I have come to give life and life to the full. The enemy is trying to destroy the life, the good life, the full life that God wants you to have and the enemy's coming against it in all kinds of ways. Here's what I've learned about the devil. He is not creative. It burns him up because you know, God's creative. God's the one who creates. He is not creative and he's so predictable. I found that there are usually six ways, six ways that the enemy works in our lives. And they all, all these words start with D because the devil like, likes words that start with D. Right? He often deceives, distracts, you may want to write these down, discourages, divides, dehumanizes, or dulls. I added that one this morning, dulls. I think particularly that, that idea of how the enemy dulls us, lulls us into sleep is one of the primary ways that, that the enemy works in our advanced, progressed society where technology, video games, and media and I'm not against all that stuff, but I am against it, dulling our minds and dulling our, our souls. Work, work ourselves to the point. Enemy really wins when we work ourselves to the point of fatigue and being dull, being asleep. He really wins. Or, or sports or activities or whatever, just being consumed with, with stuff dulls us. Is it okay if I tell you just a little bit about how this has been playing out in my life personally? Can I do that? Okay, one person say yes and I will. All right. A couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago we had a staff retreat. It was so good. Best staff retreat ever in part because I didn't have to do a thing for this retreat. I just got to show up and receive our executive pastor, Steve Hudson, team he put together, our admin staff. They did a great job and I just got to go and receive, which was really a blessing for me. And, and the content was so good. We talked about Father God and specifically the four gifts that God the Father wants to give to each one of us. And we heard some teaching on each of these gifts and ah, oh, really good. In fact, we're gonna do a sermon series on those four gifts, the second series after Easter. So stick with us, come back. It's gonna be a good series. But we were, we were given some time to go and find some solitude and some time, spend some time alone, which is always I'm always ready for that as an introvert anyway, but it was, it was good to go and, and reflect on one gift, one of the four gifts that we believe the, the, the Father wants to give us more of. And for me, the gift was pleasure, God's pleasure, God's delight. The idea that God doesn't just love me out of obligation or duty, or, but loves me because he loves me. Loves me because he created me. He loves me, looks at me and sees my strengths and sees my quirks and is like, I love this guy. He likes me. He delights over me. And, and this is key. It's before I do a thing that he feels that way about me. Before I perform. Before Jesus started his ministry, God spoke this over him. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. For what? He hadn't done anything yet. Because he loves his son and he loves his daughters. He delight, it's not just about me, he delights over each and every one of us. You know what happens when you start to realize and receive the, this truth that God delights over you? You start to delight in him. You start to delight in others. Not out of a sense of obligation or duty, but you start to delight in them. 
start to delight as a pastor in your church more. You start to delight in God's creation more, the world that he's made. You start to delight. You know who doesn't like that? The enemy. He's trying to destroy the work. This is the work that God's doing to me. My next level layer of spiritual growth. We all have a next layer of spiritual growth. And that's the work that God's doing in me. And the mom, almost the moment the retreat was over, it started to come at me. Distractions and discouragement. Those, that voice of the accuser. You think God delights in you? You're not that great. You know that mistake you made a while ago or bad leadership call you made or little quirks you have as a speaker. Yeah. Get you to focus on what's wrong about you. That's what the enemy does. Instead of how God delights over you. And then I realized what was happening. Yeah, he's not creative. He's very predictable. The enemy's trying to get at this good work that God is doing in me. To know that he delights in me. And I was gonna be preaching, delivering this message on evil, which he didn't like either. But you know what? Here I am. Here I stand. And there is another thing that evil does, and these are very much connected. Evil's trying to defeat the good work that God wants to do through you. Wants to do through you. The work that he's doing in you and the work that he wants to do through you. Do you believe that God wants to do a good work through you? He does, it's true, but I'm asking you, do you believe it? He wants to do a good work with you. I realize that some of you, you're, you're feeling beat up, you're feeling beat down, you've been attacked and you're discouraged. All the stuff that the enemy does to try to, and if that's you, I just wanna encourage you a little bit. I'm not talking sugarcoating or giving you the silver lining or just put a smile on your face. I'm not trying to minimize the struggle or the pain that you're going through, but I wanna encourage you if that's where you are. And the first thought is this, often, Maybe even most of the time, when you're under attack from the enemy, it means you're on the right track. You hear that? It means you're on the right track with God. Why else would the enemy care? Why else would he, if you're on the wrong track, he'll just let you keep going. In fact, we might even want to ask if we're not getting attacked every once in a while, am I on the right track? Because if you're on the right track with God, there will always be pushback. When, when God's doing a good thing in you, the enemy is trying to push back. Be encouraged in that. I know it's not easy. I know it's hard. But if you're under attack, it's probably because you're on the right track. Keep going. Keep going. Here's some more encouragement. This comes out of Genesis chapter 50. Joseph, who had been through a lot of attacks, he said this. He said, what was intended for evil, God has used for good. What it was intended for evil in your life, in our lives, God can use for good. I've seen it happen over and over and over and over again in my life. Enemy's trying to do something evil. God uses it for good. <laughs> Shoot, was what the enemy's saying. God's trying to do something evil. God uses it for something good. Something, something, see, be encouraged. He can use it for something good. And then the most encouraging word of all, the best news of all, is that whatever you're going through, the struggle that you're going through, does not have to have the final word. Does not have to have the final word. There is another word. And we gotta go back to this passage in Luke 11 where Jesus says, for when a strong man like Satan is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe. Until someone, would you say that with me? Until someone 
even stronger, attacks it and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons and carries off his belongings. Listen, evil is real. It is in opposition to what God is doing. It is running, the currents of evil are running around us and within us, but there is one who is stronger. There is one who has come to overpower, to strip the enemy of his weapons and to send him packing. His name is Jesus Christ and he is the one who is stronger than evil. Do you know him? This is why he came. This is why he came. In 1 John 3, 8, he said, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's what John says, who walked with Jesus. He knows it's the reason he came. He came to go to the cross to overcome sin, death, and evil, and then to be raised to new life, the resurrection, to have victory over all the evil that we face and may face and the world faces, victory over all of that. And we're gonna celebrate that resurrection number 1,988 in two weeks. Are you with me? There's a lot to celebrate. So when we, when we pray this prayer, deliver us from evil, the literal translation is rescue us from evil. Rescue us from the currents that are running around us and the currents that can rise up within us. Rescue us. And we're also, as we've talked about in the series, oftentimes the answer to our own prayer. Deliver this world from, from evil. How? By us. Coming against that hate with love. Coming against that, that ego, that pride with humility. Coming against that division with unity as the people of God, as the church, the body of Jesus Christ. We pray that prayer. It is not an empty prayer. Uh-uh. When we pray the prayer, deliver us from evil, it's a prayer that's been answered. Jesus has the ultimate victory. and We can claim authority in Jesus Christ over any evil we may face. If you've been around Hosanna for a while, you know that I have an affinity for Martin Luther. Not Martin Luther King Jr., although I like him too. But Martin Luther, who lived 500 years ago, and he started the Reformation. And he's the founder of our Lutheran heritage. And I don't just like him, though, because he's the founder of the Lutheran heritage. And I don't like him because he was perfect or he never made mistakes because he wasn't. He did make mistakes. He, He did struggle. And he was tormented at times by the presence of evil in his life. In fact, one time he said, evil seems so real to me, the devil seems so real that I threw, he threw an ink blot across the room at him. So real. And was God trying to do a good work through Martin Luther to bring the church back to grace, saved by grace through faith, God's lavish love for his people? He absolutely was. And so the enemy was coming back hard. And yet Martin Luther could say this, love this quote, I often laugh at Satan and there is nothing that makes him so angry as when I attack him to his face and tell him that through God, I am more than a match for him. Laugh at Satan because he's funny or it's a joke? No, because Martin Luther knew the one word, the one way, the one way, I told you I'd tell you, one way that we can be delivered from it, that we can defeat evil in our lives and in the world is through Jesus Christ. And then Martin Luther wrote this song. We're gonna sing it in a minute. It's one of my favorite songs. A mighty fortress is our God. I just wanna read one of the verses to you. He says, though hordes of devils fill the land, all threatening to devour us, we tremble not, unmoved we stand. They cannot overpower us. 
This world's prince may rage in fierce war engage. He is doomed to fail. God's judgment must prevail. One little word subdues him. Do you know that word? It's Jesus. Jesus is the only way, the only way to subdue evil. Sometimes all we can pray is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The name of Jesus, demons tremble. We can know the freedom and forgiveness and fullness of life that evil is trying to steal from us, our true identity that evil is trying to steal from us because of Jesus. And I hope more than anything else today that you would consider leaning toward Jesus a little bit more. That you would lean into him a little bit more. Maybe a lot more. Because that's where you were start to find the freedom, less opposition, less oppression, and more freedom and fullness of life. I'm gonna pray for you along those lines right now before we sing. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, the one little word that makes all the difference when it comes to the topic of evil, when it comes to our lives, when it comes to this world. Thank you for coming and showing us what the kingdom of God looks like, pushing back evil, bringing truth and love and light into the world. May we be people who do that. I know there are people in this room who are feeling beat down, oppressed. Lord, we pray, we pray on their behalf, those that can't even pray right now, deliver us from evil. Rescue us from evil. Your kingdom come. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And may we be a church that starts with ourselves and asks where, where do we need to have evil defeated in our own lives, our own hearts. And then we may, may we go forth as a force, the body of Christ, to push back evil your kingdom may come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said...